here we are and welcome to a very special episode of the friday night movie podcast we have been promising this episode for weeks and the time has arrived Kadenard is back Kadenard raymond it is amazing to have you back this time it is becky and shy and and we get to as lily continues to be off um and and um Kadenard, welcome back how are you Thank you so much, Shai, and thank you, Becky. I am so glad to be back and so glad to be discussing Lovecraft Country. You, your, you know, show and the invitation is what prompted me to watch it because as far as shows go, I'm not really an early adopter. I take my time and I let, you know, sort of society and pop culture die down a little bit before I jump into a show, but I'm glad that I watched it, and I'm glad that we could talk about it in the context of now, the day after results were announced. Um, I feel differently about the show already than I did last week, but we'll <laughs> we'll get to that. Thanks, thanks for having me, though. It's it's amazing. Yes. Yeah, so just so everybody knows, this is being recorded on November eighth, the day after the networks called the election for President Elect Biden and Vice President Elect Kamala Harris, and you know. What an amazing moment in our country's history, and what an amazing day to be talking about this particular show. Before we get into the show, though, uh, there's a couple things just to to check off on the list. Number one, I one of the things I have enjoyed. There's like these little things that people enjoy about the selection. There's so many things to enjoy. There's a lot to be stressed about and and upset about. But one of the things I have enjoyed so much was when, as the votes were coming in from Philadelphia. The rise of the gritty memes <laughs> and of truly one of the he's only been around for a few years and has is beloved in Philly because he's the absolute craziest looking mascot ever. And Kadenard, you went to Philly and you saw a live gritty cosplayer is the best way I could describe it. Right, right. I saw someone in a gritty costume. And actually, let me confess something to you, Shy. I don't know who or what Gritty is. All I know is that... that comments were made about Philly a couple weeks ago. Pennsylvania came through and Gritty memes then abounded. And Shai, I think you had said something about Gritty at a very opportune time that I was coming a- across gritty or you sent, you sent out a <laughs> meme or something. So everything is serendipitous. Everything has, you know, meaning and, and power beyond my ability to coordinate these things. But yes, I have a picture with gritty now and I'm and, happy about it. And how, what was the vibe in Philly? Like <laughs> it was beautiful. Everyone um, assembled in like love park and down at city hall and there are a lot of signs. It was very familiar because when I was in DC this summer, I was attending Black Lives Matter marches and protests. And it's one of the only ways, one of the only safe sanctioned ways that a bunch of people can get together because of COVID, right? So there is a very purposeful reason for us to be at these protests, whether it's you know, in um, commemoration of someone who died at the hands of law enforcement or whether it's to, you know, celebrate the election of um, of someone else, 
there's there's intent and purpose there, but it's also like communal. It's just like, hey girl, oh, I like your jacket. Oh my gosh, look at her mm-hmm. hair. Oh wow, look at that sign. Um, it was a beautiful feeling. And I'm I'm so glad we did that because I wanted to say thank you to Pennsylvania. I wanted to say thank you to black fo- black voters in Philadelphia. Um, black voters really came through for us in some cities that were swing t- in cities that are in swing states. So it felt like the right thing to do. I'm glad I did it. Uh, absolutely. Wonderful. And, 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 you know, without, without sounding like too obvious in what I'm saying, like, absolutely. We really do want to honor everybody who voted, but those, those cities with black communities that came out and black women, I think one of my favorite, most, mo- most amazing moments about Kamala's speech was when she talked about black women. And I say this because there are a number of black women, you included, who have really influenced my life. And, you know, look, let's be clear. There aren't a lot of men who have influenced my life, no matter what background they're from. <laughs> so, 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 um, I does gravitate I, towards female energy. I thought of you and a number of other smart, people. Becky. I thought of you and a number of other people. My heart got really full uh when when they mentioned that and i'm so glad you were in philly that's incredible yeah all right now let's get into the show we'll come back to some other news or things items let's get into the show lovecraft country so this was recommended to me by a few different folks some people i knew who had loved watchmen ariel and nate big lovecraft country fans they said this was fantastic and i feel like this show was a journey like like there there was a lot like a lot of ground is covered in this show what was your journey like watching this show i was exhausted yeah yeah <laughs> I, <laughs> I told you about this when you were watching because i had finished before um you finished shy and i told you it's a lot it is a lot to process and there's nothing wrong with a show sort of developing the story and having a lot of secrets and mysteries that you have to unpack and you know expose there's nothing wrong with that but i i i found myself at the end of each show just like wary and that's not how i like to enjoy entertainment and i think it's it's probably a personal thing for me Escapism means, you know, I escape into an ideal. It doesn't mean I escape into something scary and weighty and like, you know, my brain has to work a lot. And so, yeah, the journey was exhausting. Um, But I, I, I think it was incredible acting. I think there's definitely space for black futurism and sci-fi and horror so I'm glad for, for that pushing of the envelope. But um, I'm still trying to decide if that journey was overall enjoyable and worth it or just like I, I could have waited. <laughs> All right, Becky, how do you uh, so, feel about it? So as it's known to our podcast, I do not do horror. I mean, like that I, I there there are a handful many, of, yeah. Becky sent me many pictures of herself like covering her eyes while <laughs> right. she's watching this show. So, and I will watch horror for, you know, in exceptional cases, The Shining, Get Out, fine. And I enjoy them and I, and I get through them painfully and then I can go back and rewatch them. <laughs> so the first two episodes, 
the first four episodes scared me out of my mind. After episode two, my husband was like, you're on your own. And I was like, wait, time to watch this. Are you kind of crazy? Um, So I had to get through the fear factor of the show and try and watch it on a more intellectual level so that I could get through the scares. And I think it also does shift at a certain point and, and either I got desensitized to the horror or it just became more manageable for me for like the, for the scares. Um, so I think a lot of my journey was around getting through that. And like I said, yeah, um, being in a more of an intellectual space and a, and a learning space. And so horror in, in film is, is, is often used as a, as an allegory, right. For what's going on in society or to teach us a lesson, um, or, or to, or not, teach, not actually, sorry, not, not to teach us a lesson, but to have us confront our fears, our like actual day-to-day fears. And it's often done in, in the horror genre. Um, uh, so, so I think for me, I got a lot out of the horror device Mm-hmm. And the fact that in every episode they change horror genres because I was able to look at it and go, okay, well, what is it teaching me? For example, mm-hmm. as we get further into it, the body horror episode when they're doing the body swapping mm-hmm. is that, okay, well, obviously we're choosing body horror. You're telling me something, you're trying to tell me something very specific about black bodies and the mm-hmm. physical and that physical experience. And to try and watch it in that way, not just be grossed out by the gore, but let's think about what, what am I trying to learn here about black bodies mm-hmm. um, and, and white bodies and it, less so, but more so about the other. And so um, I think I, I did get a lot out of it on sort of a film studies intellectual level. And Excellent. whereas I started off being like, this is a very complicated show and it's very scary. And I don't know how I feel about it. I will say I, by the end, I loved it, which oh. I which surprised me how much I loved it. Mm-hmm. But I really, really loved the, the show. By the end, we can get into that. Sorry for rambling. No, that's, that's great. And you taught me something because I think I was so exhausted that I actually couldn't. And I knew going in that because it was produced by Jordan Peele, there, were, there was a lot of symbolism that I was going to have to you know, examine. And I wanted to watch the whole thing again with fresh eyes to say, okay, what are the symbols and how can I relate it? The black bodies thing is a prime example of that. But at the end of the show, about the last episode, I was like, finally, I I, I just can't. (laughs) I, I, I came into the show with like the first episode, because I, I didn't, I, I knew it was going to be scary and I knew it would have some sort of HP Lovecraft, but I really hadn't seen any of the anything about it i didn't really know what i was walking into and so most of that first episode is just kind of like a spooky mystery and then in that last five minutes when the shogah show up when the creatures show up and just start tearing everybody apart and the cops are getting eaten and they're in the cabin in the woods that is a very specific type of horror comedy believe it or not i found that whole scene like hilarious and exhilarating mm-hmm. that i like, love and i was like yes this is like <laughs> evil dead i can't evil wait damn. for more and then it like got scarier and scarier and scarier with the haunted house we'll come back to the haunted house episode which scared the living daylights out of me and i felt like i was on this roller coaster like up 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 all the way through episode six the episode that takes place mostly in korea which mm-hmm. i thought was 
like five and six, which was the body yeah, horror, body, the Korea, body horror and the Korean yeah. was like peak. And then after that, I just like it, it lost its momentum for me. And I mostly, I mostly kept thinking to myself, being like, wow some of the like the weird magic lines these guys have to say is like lord of the rings style dialogue like journey smollett is the most amazing actress she's so great in this show yeah she's just yelling like backwards hebrew words like for many many times and 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 talking about like but we have to cast the spell and wrap it around a duck and you know like like some of those things they were singing so that was my favorite that was my favorite whatsapp message from you when you were like there is a lot of energy to spells. <laughs> There's a lot of energy dedicated to the spells. In this yes. show. A lot of discussion of the details yes. of one of these spells. That to me was when I like I stopped being afraid when all they were talking about was these elaborate spells. And I was like, okay, this is very Harry Potter. But I also think the last two episodes were like the finale of Harry Potter. Yeah. There was magic. There was shooting. There was all this. Okay, let's get into symbolism because... Okay. I know there were symbols throughout. There were some that I thought I really got and connected to. And there are other things where I was like, okay, this has got to be a symbol, but I just don't mm -hmm. know what it is. I feel like that's a good place to start. Some of the things that maybe each person connected to symbolically Mm -hmm. or questions we have for each other. So uh, Becky, which is one you had? Well, I, I like I, I mentioned earlier, so the, the body swap one, the body horror one, and it was understanding, okay, the experience of, and I think Ruby and that opportunity in that episode to really learn about Ruby and the experience of a, of a black woman who's dark skinned and who's big, right? So you have someone who, who, whose life experience, I don't know, and I don't understand. And so it, her breaking out of the 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 white skin to claim herself her wanting to hide inside the white skin and being fearful and then she like she's very um, there's a lot of exposition in the episode where she does and following ones where she does talk about that so I think that was one that worked really well for me and then as much as I could barely cope with the haunt like haunted house is the worst horror for me I can't do I'm with you Becky I can't do haunted houses but what I was able to take away from it was generational trauma. And so you literally have these people, this space that is haunted by the murder and the trauma of of, of the past and the spirits that are coming back to haunt them. And while, of course, we have our own personal experiences, we know that there is such a thing as genetic trauma mm-hmm. and um, and generational trauma where it is passed down. And I felt like that's how I read that episode. Yes, Becky. Come on, Becky. Yes. <laughs> and and it's revisited later in the Tulsa episodes as well in a different way, right? Because that's like the whole family history. But those, you know, I think like the symbolism in those two. Okay. But I am, yeah, you guys each go and then I'll ask some questions. About well, some I, I, I want to come back to the, the, the body shopping one was amazing to me because it could have just with all of the effects and, and everything stopped at simply being black woman spends day in a white woman's body. Mm-hmm. But it was so complex because it was black woman spending day in white woman's body, black woman spending way day in white woman's body, interacting with another black woman who she felt unfairly got a position that she thought she wanted. And then it was, the life of a woman period and then it was the, mm-hmm. the discussion between christina and ruby about being a woman and 
who had, you know, and, 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 and how that manifests itself, right? Because Christina, who is a horrible racist, is going through her own um, feminist quest to claim magic for herself. Mm-hmm. And I, with, you know, without being like, a, I'm not a genius on this at all, but like one of the things I'm looking at is there, there always seems to be attention when people's intersectional identities play out in these big mm-hmm. moments in society. Are yeah. you a feminist? Are you a feminist? Um, uh, are you a feminist and fighting systemic racism? Or are you a feminist who's just um, advancing women? And as a result, you kind of are blind to the, uh, the, the issues that specific women from specific backgrounds are facing. And to me, like Christina sort of wasn't interested, she was interested in the woman part of Ruby and wanted to free her from the burden of the black experience but it, but in service of this quest as women, right? And mm-hmm. and I think that was, a, it was like posing a very scary question to Ruby, a, a question to Ruby about her identity. And, mm-hmm. and in the end, Ruby really, I think, picks both there and then later in the show when she makes her big sacrifice, picks the correct, you know, not the correct, sorry, but she, she picks, am I correct? She picks, she stays true to herself. That's mm-hmm. the best way to describe it. Yeah, so in hearing you both discuss this with very valid points, I'm reminded again why I had issues with the show, which is for me and the type of entertainment that I like, it was too much. Sometimes I feel like showrunners and writers think they're not going to get a second season and they need to dump everything into the first Oh, it's a really good point. You two have already discussed themes that could stretch over an entire season. Right. And you're frantically trying to catch everything. What you two discussed are very valid. And I absolutely see that now. But actually what I was thinking in the whole body swapping exercise was, wow, is this show trying to explore a uh, LGBT couple while also, you know, talking about the differences of race? Are they trying to examine what it means to have a white man lusting after a black woman who's not really a man, but a woman? Are they trying to examine, there's a part where um, they ask the other black woman that's working at the department store to take them slumming, right? To take them to a a different part of town and have a good time. Those are the things that I focused on as a black person in the show. Like all the other symbolic aspects of the body swapping were completely lost on me because it was so gory. And I was kind of mm-hmm. like, get, get on with this. Gory. It was extremely yeah. gory. It was very, I closed my head to close my eyes. Yeah. At point. So, it's very upsetting. Like I said, just exhausting. Um, and and I, I when I say exhausting, I don't want to say it in a denigrating way against the show. It's just like, in the year that we've had, in 2020 already, just trying to hold on yeah. to stuff and then having to process the the very rich um themes and then the incredible acting and if if there's good acting you have to get drawn in right you're not just going to be passive and have that wall and i get drawn into good acting and the acting was impeccable so at the end of the, every episode i was just like okay i took what i could i can't even think about it anymore um but you you both raised really good points i like i like what you took from them but you're so you know you're so right in that it you can 
you can sense the fear that there would be no chance for season two. So they said, okay, well, what are all the, the what are all the big topics that we can cover that have to do with race mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and these dynamics and this history in this country and let's cover a different one in every single episode. And it is yes. it's like a bombardment and it's a lot. And you, you so, don't, yeah. Yeah. Becky, can I, can I just make one point on that? So I don't know if you all know Octavia Butler. She writes black sci-fi and yeah, uh-huh. she talked about advice that she got from an advisor in the eighties who had gotten the same advice in the sixties, which was don't write in black characters in your books, unless there's a specific reason for them, unless there's a specific reason, reason for the reader to know this character is black because And she rejected that. She famously rejected that. She's famously become one of the greatest sci-fi writers. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the the showrunners did just that. They tried to justify Black actors and Black characters by, like, throwing in Emmett Till. I I thought that, like, we didn't... You didn't have to make it Emmett Till. I loved... I actually loved the way they did Tulsa. But I also felt like a lot of the things they were just like, oh yeah, by the way, this is set in the, in the fifties. So let's, let's just throw these things in there. I, like those kind I, of back I, to the future type, like little Easter eggs of, of history. Yeah. Interesting. And actually to the point, to the point of, of the Emmett Till storyline, um, I was, it was like shocking the way the episode starts because you're playing catch up. And I was like, Oh, did I somehow miss something in an episode? Mm-hmm. I actually went back to make sure I didn't miss an episode. I'm like, oh, okay. So we're doing a time, a little bit of a time jump here to so this whole episode about it. And you get finally, now we're following D's character more seriously. And the ending of that episode with Christina do that's the, it's the end of that episode, right? Where she wants to be murdered the way that exactly. she was. Yeah. And I was like, I had this feeling of like, so we're making this about her? Or we're like, is this, is she getting her rocks off like no, this? Like, I couldn't tell. It was like, is she, or, or is this like, oh, we're going to teach white people empathy? Like, right. so now this episode is about her. I just, but I, then I was like, oh wait, but now is that the point to say that white people, we just make it all about us. And so now you're doing, you're making like a point on a point, like a twist on a twist. But I, I, that ending of it where it being about her and her experience of it, whether she was getting off on it or she was like, I don't, it was unclear what was happening there, which I'm sure you could, we could, you know, it was a dive into, but it was like a witchcraft her, thing. I think that it was no, because crazy. she also talks about how, when she talks to Ruby later, the reason she wants to have immortality is so she can experience every single thing possible mm-hmm. for the first time. Mm-hmm. So she's experiencing this, right? Because Ruby's so upset. She's like, oh, you don't understand it. And I don't know what she takes away from it. But either way, I felt that it ended that episode in a in a very um, questionable, unsettling that, that, that was definitely way. confusing. That was definitely yeah. confusing. There was, there, there was a couple other things where I, I don't know if I caught the symbolism but I got the terror. I mean, I felt the terror. And to me, episode eight, when D is cursed by those cops. Can we please magic, talk about that? That was scary. That was so horrifying. Scared out of me. And she's chased by those demons who who tear her apart. I mean, they injure her. Is I I knew it was terrifying. I knew it was this, you know, D as this casualty of 
all these things that were going on that she wasn't really a part of, she had been kept out of, but she, she was still going to be punished by these white policemen. And I think that, that to me was something I took from it being like, you know, she, even though she was not party to this, she was now uh, a casualty. Um, but the haunting that she specifically experienced, which I guess was connected to the, the drawings in uncle Tom's cabin. Is that mm -hmm. what the, um, yeah, Bopsy, I think topsy Bopsy. Um, and so I, I just didn't fully understand, like, was it, was there meaning in it or was it just abject terror that we were, they were going for there? And, and, and it was a great horror episode. I mean, it, you know, I don't know if there was what the symbolism was there. Honestly, I don't know. I, I know that it's terrifying because there's, there's always something ter terrifying about corrupting the image of children. Mm. That's a, that's as far as I could go with it really. Um, the, the fact that she was like constantly seeing them and no one else was seeing them. And the fact that the, the process by which the cops like cursed her with like spitting and, and all this stuff, it, it was the curse with his yeah, body. It was, like, just, it was all very, it was all very visceral to me. Like I, I just, I felt fear in my gut. I, I couldn't even, I'm sure that there's some symbolism there. We could extrapolate like loss of innocence. We could say, yeah, the pressures of being a smart girl and in a, in a world that only wants to see you as like a caricature. There's, mm -hmm. there's tons of things we could say about it. But you know, at, the end, at the end of the day, it was just like this, this poor girl is now, um, like you said, shy, sort of thrust into this world. Um, she's lost her innocence. Um, that, that theme is played out in the end with that like Terminator arm that she has as a result of the interaction with the monsters and how like, you know, how she like crushes, when she crushes Christina with her arm. Right, so that was actually something I wanted to bring up and ask you both about, and this is, it's a good segue talking about the loss of innocence is the choice to have, and she is a child, she's what, 14, 15, right? I don't know how old is she. She's young. She's she's a kid. She's not a, a baby. She's a, she's a teenager. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But she's young. The choice to have her at the end, and we know that she's experienced her loss of innocence at, at this point, but the choice to have her kill someone with her, I mean, it's a mechanical arm, but with her bare hand, with her hands, with her force. Mm -hmm. What did you guys think of that? What did you get out of that? I actually think her killing, now that you're saying it, I, I would say maybe her killing, her killing Christina with her mechanical arm, it, it's not her bare hands. It's not her innocent child hands. It is, it is, is just a reflection of how she has been changed. But I also think it's a, it's a, it's a, you can view it that way, like a reflection of the trauma. But I think it's also a reflection of this newly developed strength that mm -hmm. she has having gone through what she went through. She gets, you know, accosted and cursed by those policemen and she feels so helpless and powerless. By the end of that film, she has magic and she has the Shoggoth, the, the creature, you know, by her side as her mm -hmm. buddy. And she is a powerful being. And, and, and I think, yes, it's 
it's it's uh, interesting because there's a certain cold bloodedness to her killing Christina, but then you have to also think about what Christina is like. Cer- certain things, certain depths of evil and nihilism, I think, do do have to be, I think, eliminated. Yeah. But but I, I contrast with that. I also believe in situations of conflict. This is from years of studying conflict resolution that that's not the only way you can handle it. Right. That that can't be the only way. Um, the only way her character goes forth is is I think this is a very specific person who you know, killed, uh, killed her cousin and, and her, well, and her father, basically. I mean, like that mm-hmm. this person specifically did terrible things to her and her family. Yeah. Um, wait, sorry. Can I bring up one point before I forget mm-hmm. on the symbolism part? Um, I also wanted to mention magic now magic, I think is, is kind of an obvious one. That is the, the threat of the show, but magic as uh, black power, the empowerment in the black community is, I think, something that they were getting at, which is there is always this um, uh, assumption, this false assumption in history that knowledge and wisdom and civilization has been conferred upon black people by white civilizations that encountered them, right? And the way that the show ends in terms of no, you're going to take magic back. You're going to take it away from white people. And the fact that, you know, there's a, in the Haunted House episode, I think she's Haitian. You know, when they brought that woman in to sort of bless the house? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's speaking Creole, and I think it's oh. Haitian Creole. And there is all this, you know, uh, uh, illustration that evokes, to my mind, voodoo and candomblé and santeria, all of the sort of animist and what you would associate as indigenous African religions in what she's doing. And so I think they could have treated that more sensitively. I wish they had done a little bit research, a a little bit more research, both in like who they chose, the accent that she had. I, I noticed that the Korea episode, which was my favorite episode, was done very delicately. It was beautiful storytelling. I thought the imagery was great. And I remember reading in some articles afterwards that they had just taken so much um, care and attention into all of the, the, into the setting. Like they actually had like cans of spam and they actually had like the GI trucks and all. And I wish that if you're gonna go all out, like take the same care and attention and apply it to this Creole woman, take the same care and attention and apply it to the Arawak woman that they had in sort of the Indiana Jones mm-hmm. episode where they bring her back um, because there's magic in the Native Americans. There's a form of, you know, empowerment there that is spiritual. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the themes that I thought was important. That's that's something that's very important in the Black community is spirituality. And I wanted them to treat it with a little bit more sensitivity than they did. That, that's that's extremely Yes, uh, a very good point. A very good point. I, I, important actually, thing to remember. I, I think there's an interesting segue, though, because now that you're talking about the Haunted House episode, the Haunted House episode has some other indelicate points. There is an indelicate point that, that we walked away from, and I don't mm-hmm. know, most people probably didn't pick up on this, but I don't know, I the name picked of, up on it. No, you did. Well, yeah, I yeah. did. <laughs> Allie did. 
So the name of the doctor who's doing the horrific experiments, his name is Hiram Epstein. Mm -hmm. And to any Jewish person watching that show, that is a Jewish name. He may not have been. He's not identified as Jewish. Mm -hmm. But I immediately, Ali and I looked at each other. When you hear that name, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wow. I have no idea. Why is this doctor who's doing specifically medical experience because there's there's two elements that are i would say like traumatizing for jewish people one is in the holocaust the medical experiments performed by the nazis yep also it's a deeper um lore uh uh uh, the blood libel um which is that jewish people were were you know would sneak out in the night and steal children and drink their blood and use their blood to make to do their rituals oh wow and so so I, I read a few articles that said it's, you know, Lovecraft Country is this amazing thing. Why do they make this choice? What is this? And and even stranger is that in the book, apparently, I didn't read the book, but the book that the, the show is based on, Hiram Epstein is not the character. The character is actually just a descendant of the Winthrop character, the, mm-hmm. the owners of the house. Right. So this was like an extra addition in the show. So made decision made by the showrunners that I can only assume is indelicate. And maybe mm-hmm. they were just like, look, let's let, you know, I, I want to believe the best. Maybe they, they essentially were saying, well, it doesn't work for us if he's actually related to that family, because if he's related to that family, then certain other things won't make sense. So let's just name him someone else. And so they give him this old world kind of name. I want to believe it was indelicate. If they had, if they had said Hiram Epstein and then said he's from He's like a Nazi. He escaped and he is. Right. You know, exactly. if, if they had said that explicitly, would that have made you feel better? Like they. Um, if, if so, Epstein for me, I read as code for a Jewish person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he was someone who was traumatized by the Nazis and therefore was into all this dark matter, because the Nazis were also, by the way, supposedly obsessed with the occult, right? They, yeah. they had their own obsessions with magic and the occult. That's what Indiana Jones is all about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or if they were, if it's like a Jewish name, where it was like really a German name, and they were like, "Oh, he was a Nazi doctor," but it could have been like maybe yeah. you might think it was yeah. Jewish, but Th- nah. that would have helped. But then I come back to Kaden the point that you said at the top, which is they were throwing so much at you in this show that maybe that 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 detail is in there, and they just didn't get around to it because it's not like his character comes back. So I was like, well, maybe there'll be a reason for that choice, and then his character really doesn't even manifest again. So mm-hmm. I, I mostly wrote it off, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to frame it the way you framed it, which is there's some indelicate things in that episode. Yeah. And when you compare yeah. that to the episode in career, which is my favorite episode as well, because to me, it was like yes. all of the horror. It's like one of those horror romance type of stories that mm-hmm. you see. It made me think of the, is it the shape of water? The one with the fish guy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. It made me think of the shape of water. And and again, that episode, the horrors of war, the the, mm. the, the horrors of war, but also the healing of love. I mean, mm. and, and that played to my optimism, right? That as a person, that's gonna, I'm gonna always sort of lean towards the love will get us through type of scenario. Mm. And I think that's what that episode was saying a little bit, especially about the Kumiho character. Mm-hmm. And her final arc was very complete and I thought really well done. That's the thing. And and maybe I just gotta have, you know, sort of that nip in the bud 
But um, to Becky's beautiful point about generational trauma, which I think, I don't know if it's gen- generational because it's it's actually her and her mother's trauma. Mm-hmm. But the reason that Gia, I think her name is, right? Mm-hmm. Her, she is a kumiho, is directly related to the fact that she was a, a victim of sexual abuse and her mother trying to get revenge for her and I think another daughter or something like that. And therefore she is a monster and there is a path to vengeance and her freedom as a human. It was all very clear and it was all very beautifully done. Whereas with the Shagath, you're like, what are these and why are oh, they here? I Who like a hundred percent. Yes. 100%. I'm like, they, 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 what they are they? Out of they <laughs> I don't even understand why they don't attack Tick and listen to D. Like yeah. I, that was lost on me. I'm like, when did we decide that? Are there's also two different kinds? There's two different exactly. There's of a, them? It was a it was a gray one and a white one, or a what? black one and a gray one, or a black one and a white one. <laughs> like they attacked the police, but they love Christina. Like, is it just about magic? That was very again because I don't like gore and I don't like you know seeing people ripped to shreds for no reason. I needed to understand why these creatures existed and no one explained it to me. No, they did not. There, there's one more powerful element. Again, I knew it, I was so overwhelmed by it, and and again, um, and that was the draining of Tick's blood. I think there's a whole theme about black men and mm-hmm. masculinity mm-hmm. in this show that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, w- especially with his father, Montrose, mm-hmm. right? But the the draining of his blood that, that he needed to be, that not even that he needed to be, that he was just this casualty of progress. Mm-hmm. He, like this horrific thing that was going to be done. Oh, to that's him actually really well put. Accepted mm-hmm. casualty of progress. To me, that's how I read that. And not only that, it's no. I mean, I think he's hung on a cross. So this idea of this yeah. God divine right of mm-hmm. of in this case, you know, white people saying this is just mm, tick. I mean, Christina was indifferent to tick. She's like, it's nothing personal. It's right. so, exactly. It's in the name of of her ambitions and her progress. It's not about him. It's about her, which I I can't think of any, like it's, it's almost worse in a way that Mm -hmm. he means so little to her that it's not. Yeah. And and what's, what's interesting in in some of the the learning that I've been, you know, trying to do in this last period is, is about the evolution of, of racism. And one of the, the things that has very much influenced me is this notion that white supremacy in in a lot of ways is this invention to justify the the this slavery in particular after the fact right mm-hmm. and so to me in some ways you're seeing christina she's not at that point where she feels she has to justify it she's just using and abusing and degrading a human to get what she wants and maybe generationally later people will justify it and say i mean she kind of justifies it by by saying you know or or, or or she she sort of uses the convenience of being a white woman when she tells him not to point a gun at her right right but it, it shows you how artificial the white supremacy really is and how and how it's just an awful tool when really like no it's not really about that it's about you getting yours and getting what you want and and, and wrapping the, it around religion or any other thing. And the theme that we're really starting to see, I think, in 2020 
as we look to allies and as we call allies to be anti-racist is the fact that Christina at the surface was friendly to black people. She made love to a black woman. She had no she had no real issue or, you know, hostility which I think is exactly the issues that we're dealing with right now as we discuss what it is to be anti-racist. It's not enough to just like be nice to black people and think that, yeah. you know, they're they're perfectly fine people. You have to be consciously and constantly working to dismantle like supremacy and privilege up to the point where it could affect your own privilege. Be prepared to sacrifice a little bit of your power and privilege for the equality of everyone, which is what Christina could not do, right? It's like, for the benefit of all of us, don't pursue the path of immortality. Like, right. have all this right. magic, just enjoy it and let Tick live. And she's like, <laughs> mm. I don't have an issue with Tick. Tick's a nice guy, he looks good, but I gotta have the immortality. Like that's, right. so I, I do Very think there's point. a lot of symbolism there. Yeah, and um, some threads of, of what we're dealing with in 2020 for sure. Okay. Now I'm, I'm feeling the emotional. This was, this is, this was intense. I'm going to take it to a little bit of a lighter place. Have you all seen the Issa Rae sketch from SNL? I'm the one that sent it to you. Becky, you sent it. So there's this (laughs) this sketch from Kidnard. You got to watch it. It's Issa Rae. I haven't seen it. It, It's when she hosted. It's It's when she hosted a couple weeks ago. She did a a sketch about, about Lovecraft. It's the same one with Bonjour High. It's the same episode. Did you see Bonjour High? Wait a minute. You sent me this, Shy. Where, yeah, she's explaining it and everyone's incredulous and they're just like... And she's just getting really frustrated because she's naming that, like, all the shirts naming, like, 25 different things that it's about. I did see that. She's like, you're just all stupid. You don't understand it. You don't understand my show. They're like, you're just mad because your show doesn't make sense. (laughs) I did see it. And it was very valid. Like, (laughs) if if I wanted to spend my time trying to explain Lovecraft, I would look exactly (laughs) like you, Exactly. It's great. So who, so who, yeah, that's, 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 that's fair and becky hadn't seen the whole season yet so when mm-hmm. i saw it i'd seen the whole season and becky said she says all this stuff that's absolutely crazy and i said becky she just actually is recounting things that happened in the show right. <laughs> um who who were your uh in either becky or kate and start who were your mvps of this season of the of this of this show or who was the mvp for you or I'll go first and I'll say mine was Journey Smollett because I remember, and Letitia, and and part of it is that I remember her in Friday Night Lights. That's the last time I saw her in something. And I remember thinking she was cool and, and that's that later season that introduced Michael B. Jordan and 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 she becomes the coach and she's a cool character. But I, I hadn't seen her, I would say, tear the roof off the place with Emmy Oscar worthy acting because I don't think that's what they gave her character to do. And she was just so amazing and powerful. And like I said, there are these moments where she's just saying like, Lord of the Rings gibberish. She's selling it. And she's she selling it. Sells it. Like I would step out of it once in a while and be like, what is Journey Smollett doing here? Right. But she, she was great. And, and it's weird to say this, but her beauty and the way they dressed her and the way she moved in the show 
was so it was so horrific so much of the show i felt like her beauty was always this thing that was standing out it was a not a it was like it transcends a, i don't know it, it, there's it, something it, about it was, it. it was a contrast it was a constant contrast yeah. to everything else that know. was going on her hair her outfits her clothes like it i always felt like they jumped and off she's very screen. she's very petite you see she's but she holds so much power in her performance she's very little you just like um, she's amazing um you know i've known journey since full house I remember thinking she was just so adorable. She was like Michelle's friend. Yeah. So I, You're right. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's another part that, that a lot of Black people will know. I don't know if you all have heard of the film Eve's Bayou. I've heard of the no. film. I have not seen them. Journey was in that as a young girl. And it's about Voodoo and um, this family in New Orleans. And so there were a lot of parallels drawn between her role in that film and then now in, in Lovecraft Country. Mm. Um, and I, I, I agree with what you're saying, Shy. She's not my MVP, but I did want to make a point about the beauty because it's something I thought about too that I think they did very well. And I think it was also some symbolism. She doesn't have the same father as Ruby, right? Mm-hmm. Clearly she has uh, maybe a white father or a Creole father, we don't know. But I, I take that their relationship is fraught, not only because um, Letitia is somewhat of like a moocher, clearly, like obviously using her sister, but because of how she looks, she can move through life in a way that Ruby mm-hmm. can. Ruby right. has to work hard. Ruby has to like, you know, be amazing and still get the shaft. Whereas Letitia can just kind of like, you know, be like, you know, the wanderer. She can go and like protest. You notice that they didn't get into that that much, but like she went to jail for probably being engaged in some civil rights movement type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a privilege that we talk about now where we're like, no, white people, we need you to go out on the front lines with us because they won't hurt you like they'll hurt us. And it's almost like Ruby is saying, you can go and do that because you're light skin and it'll affect you less people will take more pity on you than me, a big boned black woman. So I, I noticed that and I, I did appreciate that symbolism because I think it's very true. But my MVP, um, I forgot her name, but I'm gonna go with Dee's mom. Hippolyta. Hippolyta. Um, one thing we didn't talk about, which was also one of my episodes, is number two favorite episode after the Korea episode, which is the I Am, the naming episode. I know. Which is so powerful. So good. The power to name yourself and the power to decide like what role you're going to have in the world. And in Blackness, um, I thought was was amazing. And, you know, her with her just incredible... Um, mind and her ability to power that machine and fix the machine and then the creator she um she was she was amazing and she was inspiring um so i she's my mvp so okay we're gonna get back to that as we as we continue the the vp game but for my mvp i'm gonna pick tick because I don't know him from any other role, this actor. I don't even know the actor's name. And when I can get lost in someone's performance completely, it 
is a very powerful experience for me watching something. And I felt like I could tell from watching him within like the first couple scenes he's in, I'm like, oh, this guy is good. This is a trained actor. This is someone who is coming to this show who's going to bring more than just the words on the page. He's going to bring incredible depth and body language and 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 his movements are going to be really particular and that's and I felt that consistently with him from every episode the building the build up of his performance the transformation of the character and I think him as an actor was one of the best performances I've ever seen um I can't wait to start seeing him in more stuff and or noticing him now in other parts that you know maybe there's stuff I uh, movies or stuff I've seen but I don't know who I didn't know who he was and then I um and I think what he brought as a skilled actor to this character is what wholly made it work for me um and he's uh, he's a very he's like the linchpin of the story really so um you know, it, the character itself is obviously very important, but this actor, wow, that just it blew me away every episode. So, All can right. we talk you, about um, most improved? Because I'm really excited. We'll get there. We'll get there. Your least valuable. Your least valuable. You have a least valuable because mine is Christina's dad, Voldemort. Like we yeah. spent like, <laughs> I was going to say, that. I, was gonna that, say that. I did not understand what was going on in that episode. I, you know, I. <laughs> The the whole house caves in. I I just think that that was we could have gotten time back from that episode and mm-hmm. maybe gone deeper into some other things. That that that's one that his character just. I guess you needed to establish the part about her and her father and all of that. But I, I feel think like it's barely even established. There was, I feel like magic. there was a lot of magic in that episode. But <laughs> the actor is someone that I feel like that actor in particular. Every time I see him in something, I'm like, oh, he's a he's a bad guy. <laughs> he's a bad guy that wants you to think he's not so bad but he's extra evil so good casting there, there were things that happened that served the story but just him he you know he was just like a throwaway villain and i didn't my, my other mvp by the way would have been courtney b vance as uncle mm-hmm. george i was so mm-hmm. sad that he died as quickly as he did because he's so sad. great as an actor and I love everything he's uh, in it. I was just and the it. and Monk and um Montrose, the the dad from the he's so good too. Michael K. Williams. Is that his name? Oh he's so great good. actor. He is so great good. Actor. Yeah. All right. So what are your LVPs? Kate and R, do you have a least valuable player? So without sounding controversial, because it's not because I don't see the value in the idea of the character but again i'm gonna go with the arawak intersex but i'm gonna say woman and i don't want to misgender her so apologies to everybody out there you cannot take something as wrought with generational trauma as becky mentioned as the native americans who suffered a genocide and something as tricky as an intersex person and just throw it in there and use her and then cut her throat. This is crazy to me. It's almost irresponsible. So I'm going to say least valuable player, not towards the character, but just like you all either do something with this, right? Or don't include it. Because Right. If they're not willing to unpack it, then yeah. yeah. Such a good point. Yeah, that's such a, a good that's point. A, I completely a, agree. You know, yeah. yes, um, yeah. All right. Well, Becky, then you have been 
you have been very excited to talk about your most improved. Who is your most improved? I have nothing to say. Kate and Art said it all. It's Hippolyta. And for me, it was watching her transformation from the first episode. You're like, oh, I guess she's the wife character. Mm-hmm. And then in, when she names herself that, it was so fulfilling, that episode. She clearly has a brilliant mind. She is a very, very smart person. And I imagine as a black woman watching it, 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 there's an even bigger, deeper experience to it. But just as a woman, as a person watching it, you know, someone who's underestimated or who, where she says, you know, confines herself or changes herself for her husband, who then comes into full ownership of who she is. Mm-hmm. That like, after that episode, I was like, she is, she is absolutely the best, one of the best characters of this show. She's phenomenal. So like everything that you said, and I, I put her, I only put her in the most improved because of the arc of her arc in the show to get there that I really yeah. feel. Like- and actually I'll, I'll edit mine because Becky, you're right. I always forget about these categories and I, I, I tend to gravitate towards MVP as favorite, but you're right. Hippolyta so was, Hippolyta had an arc and so um, yeah, that she would definitely be my most improved. And I, uh, I also want to say like, as a, like, as a mother, her, at the at the end for her to say that like that's what she chose to name herself as IMD's mother like like it's really it really is meaningful because you can yeah. be all of these things you could be a brilliant scientist you could be a warrior you know you can have all of these these dimensions to yourself right and still be rooted in in that in in being someone's mother, you know, that can be your center and that's okay for that to be your center. Absolutely. And you're allowed to have all these other experiences. So I was just very, oh, I knew it was I also love that she was a scientist. Yes. Like to me, that was, she's the scientist in the group. And let's point out how these characters are all like, these are educated women. These are smart mm-hmm. women, you know, talented women, hardworking women. And it's at who, you know, well, Anyway, so I, I just like that about the characters. They were they were multidimensional characters, which I will say, someone who watches a lot of movies and has studied it, that is something that is sorely lacking from popular culture is multidimensional uh, female characters, multidimensional uh, black characters, yeah. you know, and twofold, you know, when you put them together. So that was so, was like, oh, wonderful. Finally, we've written interesting women. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, they were the, the combination of Ruby Letitia and Hippolyta were so interesting and multi-layered and yeah, deep. I, I love that about them. Uh Cave Nerd, is there someone else who was most improved for you? I mean, I guess I could say Montrose. Um Yeah. I I I I struggle. I struggled with his his storyline, not because it wasn't a good storyline, but because it's a painful one. Um, abuse of children. That abuse is a manifestation of your own abuse. So like hurt people hurt people. His inability to be his true self, which is a gay man, affecting his ability to love himself and his son um him wanting to protect his son but then and then ending up being an integral part of all the spells um i think there's a lot of character growth there too but as a black person who's seen a lot of these themes and a lot of these dynamics like tear up homes and communities it's painful 
And then again, that's why I say like a show like this in a year like this with themes that resonate is a lot to watch. I'm not even sure this show was for us. I don't know. Like maybe there are some people that can digest it and they're just like, all right, I got it. Because like I said, throughout our conversation, like Becky and, and you, Shai, you both hit on themes and, and symbolism that I couldn't even get to because I was just processing it still. And because at a point I had to shut down. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot of people on Twitter that I follow that are big sci-fi fans mm-hmm. that and horror fans and anime fans. And they loved it. Like every week they would tweet about how amazing it was. And I was, I was impressed and I was overwhelmed. And sometimes I was, especially after the one, one of the episodes that I was like, wow, that was just amazing was the Indiana Jones style episode, right? Just because mm-hmm. of the excitement and the tension we had, we had fun watching it as horrifying as it was, but I didn't, I didn't walk away at the end of each episode being like, this is the show of the week. You know, this right. is the way game. I mean, I don't like game of Thrones. This is a better show than game of Thrones, but like game of Thrones, every time it ended, it was like, Oh, water cooler conversation. No, this, but I don't I, know if I was, I, I would have had water. I see what, I see what Kate and I are saying is because you and I, we do, as we have, we are, our distance from the subject matter allows us to look at it differently. And we are not, necessarily being traumatized or re-traumatized or affected or emotionally reacting in the same way that Cadenard is. And that's a really important thing to just recognize and say out loud. And that is why it's like a luxury for us to be able to watch it and and to be learning things, not necessarily re-experience, you know, experiencing mm-hmm. things from our own community. That's really important. So yeah. mm-hmm. and all right. So Lovecraft Country using the great Friday night movie rating system of buy rent and meh. What do you give it? I can go, I can go first. I have an interesting answer. I have an interesting answer. So the, I have to break it down. I'm sorry. The first two episodes, I meh. It did. They weren't okay. Right. I I I was like, they were too scary. I didn't get it. I was like more Demogorgons. I know they have a different name, but I just thought they were like, (laughs) um, the second two episodes I rent because I was like, okay, you're still terrifying me, but I, but I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting into the story a bit. And then I guess it's five, five is the, is the body Mm -hmm. one, right? So then five on, I buy. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I break it down. That's good. No. Um, Yeah, I I say buy it. I say whatever personal hangups I have with this show, it's going to go down in history as one of the first of its kinds and people are going to examine it. Um, And I think it's on the right side of history in, in the conversations that it's provoking. So I say, bye. I'm going to, I'm going to go by. I think, I think Becky's assessment that there are different episodes that are better than others, Mm -hmm. but now to call back to what Becky said, to have the luxury to be able to just learn from it, right? Uh, I, I, you know, that that was it was a very, very, very powerful experience, and I think that you know, I, I'm I'm glad I got to see it. I also, I mean, I hope this does not come out wrong. I feel like for so much of my life, if you were a white person and you had to go and like learn about the black experience, it was like go watch Roots. 
<laughs> yeah. Right. It was like, you know, y- 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 that's the thing you got to watch. Right. I feel like particularly since Jordan Peele made get out, I feel like there has been a mainstream of learning of learning about black trauma and black history through these more allegorical uh different genre types of films so if you don't want to watch a historical genre and you want but you or just because you know like if that's not your thing like i like historical movies i don't mind a good period piece right but if if you really dig sci-fi and horror and this is your way to go and have this conversation like that i think this is this is it's a very powerful experience and i think watchmen is a similar thing Watchmen, I, I liked Watchmen more. To me, they're they're similar and they both are like these both shows are like super out there at times. We're mm-hmm. just like, what is happening? But they're also, and interesting that they both intersect with Tulsa, they're also hitting you hard over the head with real things. And in that, and that's another thing that's true about both of those shows. The scariest things in both of those shows are the real things that happen. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right? But yes. I I agree with you. And I the thing I like Watchmen more than Lovecraft too, and I'll tell you why exactly because of your point shy about how it sneaks in history to teach you lessons especially for people that otherwise wouldn't watch the history channel watchmen makes it very clear what the lesson is yes if you're not fine-tuned to what's happening in lovecraft like Becky said, you could just be detached and not know, like, not know what the lessons are. Like, what, what am I supposed to take from it in terms of, you know, better behavior from Lovecraft? If I've never had a conversation with a Black person before, if I've never cared about Tulsa or Emmett Till or, like, segregation, people attacking my house because I moved in, they're not, they're not, they're, they're making too many assumptions about how much people are going to get from this symbolism. So if that was the point, I think that they needed to tone it down and make the lessons a little bit more clear. If it wasn't the point again, and that's why I think it's it's interesting. You can see, you can argue who the show is for because of that. And one thing I was trying to figure out, because you said one season, is it going to have a second season? It, that That is, I got to look, I'm checking now because it was unclear to me when I went on IMDb and it says they have not renewed it for a second season yet now that's also possible because uh, the the showrunner says talks are ongoing now COVID has sort of made the renewing of television shows a whole thing and I imagine that's not a show that's I mean that is a very complicated production Mm -hmm. but I would whereas Watchmen I know we agree you know in our conversation we talked about Watchmen we said hey let's bring it back let's do another season right but I always was like satisfied with Watchmen ending where it ended this is a show I'll have I'll have to like ramp up to watch a second season, but I feel I feel like there is more to explain. Whereas Watchmen, I felt like I could see another season of Watchmen, but it doesn't have to be an exact continuation. Lovecraft Country, I feel like there's like another 10 episodes to take this a little more full circle and and to see, you know, to talk about the the consequences and to and also to get to some of the other levels of evil, Christina was one ultimate villain, but I, in mm-hmm. some ways, I don't know if she was, you know, the, the full level of a villain. Um, I hope I hope they renew this one. I, I'd like to see more of, of this show because there is more to be explained. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I, that closes our conversation about Lovecraft Country, which I, was 
amazing. Thank you, Kate and Arch, for being a part of it. And, and now comes the part of the show. Everyone, every people are relying on us for this, which is your recs and your shout outs. And um, uh, and of course, uh, we have one big recommendation, Love Cap Country. If you <laughs> listened to this episode, I mean, again, we didn't even touch on so many of the aspects of it, but so much. Yeah. as much as we could hit in a podcast episode. Um, uh, but what are you watching otherwise, Kate Denard, that, that you're into these days or, or reading or podcasting or, you know, maybe your recommendations just hang out with Gritty? Uh, right. <laughs> find out who Gritty is and find out how you can get a selfie with him. Number one. Number two. Okay, so my recommendation is for Becky. Becky. So the, the gentleman who plays Tick, I don't know his name, but I agree with you. Allow me to say something very, very profound, which is he might be the next Chadwick Boseman in terms of intensity of an actor. He's he's amazing. I loved watching him. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan for you, Majors. Jonathan, Jonathan Majors. Majors. Well, we won't forget first time, all. first time I was introduced to Jonathan Majors was in a film called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I think, you should, yeah, you should watch it because that intensity is there, but there isn't so much like in Lovecraft where he can flex it. It's subtle, but I remember watching him and I was like, wow, like he is very compelling in Ooh. his performance. And Tashina and, Arnold is in that movie. I love her. Yes, love Tashina Arnold. But also the film is so important for the examination of black men's friendship. Okay. It is a really great movie that I encourage you to watch. Um, and that's that's my recommendation. I'm not really watching any shows right now. Okay. Um, yeah. Awesome. And I, that I, seems to be, Last Black Man in San Francisco seems to be on Amazon Prime for anybody who is looking to watch it. I know a lot of folks Amazon Amazon Prime then that, that's a good that's a good place to check it out i am i've just been watching lovecraft the last two weeks basically so i well i haven't been watching other things i started listening to a new podcast that just started airing a couple weeks ago it only has maybe three episodes it's called resistance um it's a gimlet media podcast and it's about that it's about acts of resistance but specifically as it's tied to the black lives matter black lives matter movement or stories of black people um uh showing acts of resistance and and the the three episodes that are out that i've listened to are all really really great um the host it's very personal for him um because it's creating this podcast is his act of resistance and his renewed energy in Black Lives Matter movement. He sort of, he talks about that in interviews and um, and promos he's done for it. Uh, so that's a really great podcast. I recommend that. Um, and the and if you if you don't have kids, I recommend it anyway, but especially if you do have kids, there's a wonderful children's book called Kamala and Maya's Big Idea. Oh, yes. And it's such a great story. It's a wonderful storybook um, based on a on a true event that happened to Kamala Harris and her sister Maya as children um, trying to build or, or building a courtyard in their apartment complex. And it's you know, the story is embellished to make it, you know, a longer story about community and teamwork. Um, and it's great. And I, my daughter and I have been reading that together for a couple of months now. That's her favorite book. So uh, 
at the moment, <laughs> which we know with a three-year-old changes out quickly, but right now it's, it's hot. Um, so I so recommend that. I have a bunch of recommendations. If you haven't already watched President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris's speeches, they are fantastic and really moving. And I'll just say, dad called me the moment they finished. It was a really wonderful emotional moment. Dad called me to say that after those speeches, it was the most overwhelmed and emotional he's felt since seeing JFK speak when he was a teenager. That this is, and in some ways, it's interesting to say that, right? Because in our lifetime, we had 2008, we had Barack Obama, but there is a, um, there is a certain, I don't know, there was a certain naivety Someone else said this, a certain naivete about 2008. Was it you, Kidner, who said this? Mm-hmm. Else said that. Yeah, naive... I posted it on, uh, on okay, Instagram. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Now I'm quoting you. I'm like, someone else said that. <laughs> really naivete... smart woman. Who... Yeah, there's a naivete Boy, about 2008. And, and you said that. You're right. I, you said that. And now like, I'm like, oh, now I get it. Like, how, you know, that, that, that there's something very deep about this experience that mm-hmm. wasn't this, that isn't the same. Yeah. Um, that it, that isn't the same as it was in 2008, which was more just, which was like mostly hope, right? Mm-hmm. This was like hope out of anguish. And, and I thought they were pitch perfect and they were fantastic. And that's not a partisan statement. If you listen to what they said in their speeches, those weren't partisan speeches. And, and um, they were really about the whole country. And so I recommend that. And then I recommend watching all the SNL bits that came on right afterwards, because it was really fun um, to see the cold open. Um, and then also uh, Dave Chappelle's um, stand-up opening, which again, entire books could be written about comparing his two different mm-hmm. um, post-election um, uh, monologues, but that was amazing. And then one of the things, I mean, everyone's had their stuff to cope with this crazy year. And I have watched a bunch of like cult movies, particularly ones that are like humorous, but violent. And so in the last week or so I watched Peter Jackson, the guy who directed Lord of the Rings, his first movie, Bad Taste is on one of the streaming services. And it is, I mean, this is the lowest low budget thing you've ever seen. (laughs) It's gross. It's weird. All the actors play like multiple characters because they didn't have any money, but I really enjoyed it. And it apparently has gone on to have a real cult status. And I see why we watched this other complete schlock movie. It was almost like a Sharknado type movie called Piranha 3DD. And it is the sequel to Piranha 3D. And it has great comedic actors in it. It has Paul Shear. It has uh, Christopher Lloyd. It has Dave Koechner. Uh, absolutely disgusting. Not for kids, not in any way politically correct, but but Allie and I just, we were so stressed. We were like, let's just watch something stupid. And it's only an hour and 20 minutes. We watched The Devil Wears Prada with the kids. Woohoo, love, love, that's a fave. Loved it, watched The Middle, which has been canceled, but is still a really good show. It was on for nine years, watched that with the kids. And then I'm on like the third episode of The Magicians and just hearkening back, beginning where we started, I mean... <laughs> I'm not sure. I think I may have found a genre of show that I just don't care about. And that is the magic stuff. I'm just like, oh, God, more debating the magic spells. <laughs> a lot of details here, people. A lot of rules. Um, okay, with that, Kadenard, uh, I, I assume you want people to follow. You don't want people to follow. You want them to just find you. This is what you said last time. You just find them next time you're here. Or do Yep. You, okay. Exactly. And it will have to happen again soon. So Yes, I I really enjoy this. You encourage me to watch things, Shy. I won't watch them unless I'm coming on the show. So 
I look forward to being back. Well, we love having you. And so you are officially now that's it. You did it twice. You are officially now a regular. We knew you were going to be, but you know, this is amazing. Oh, I hope you come back. Sorry if my, I had to leave my mic, but um, I hope you guys, I hope, sorry, I, Kate and Art, I hope you come back a hundred more times. Thank you. Are you always welcome to the show. This is one of my all-time favorite conversations. Um, you all, you all taught me. You. you all taught me so much. I'm. I. We have to do this because it's it's too much for one person. These shows. So. <laughs> <laughs> I I love this conversation. All right, and Becky, where can people follow you? At Paper BK Princess on Twitter. And you can follow me at Pancake and the number four table, Pancake Four Table, on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow all of the Friday Night Movie shenanigans at Friday Night Movie or Friday Night Movie Pod.com. Friday Night Movie, sorry, on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm going to come back to something we've been talking about for a while, which is the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Our family has been supporting them on a regular basis. Um, and we have been mentioning in the show every week, the specific area I tend to make donations, I make donations to them uh, sort of on a regular basis. But when I have the opportunity to pick a program, I pick the voting rights program. And one of the ways in which our family celebrated uh, yesterday was by making a donation there. And the reason why I did that is because look, parties and candidates and campaigns, those are all very important things and, and, and that's great. There is a fundamental element here about the importance of people voting and enfranchising people and protecting that sacred right in our country that the NAACP Legal Defense Fund is devoted to. And, and, and to me, that was the way to celebrate yesterday, which was really about, which was about counting the votes and it was about honoring those, all of the people who voted. And, and I will continue to, I mean, we're going to continue to support them. And I say it every week, please go check out them, check out their work. And if it moves you, please become a supporter. And also the Equal Justice Initiative is another organization that we have, uh, that we support. And I encourage you to check that out as well. And with that, the, the music kicks in, in post-production. It's by What Does It Eat, as it is every week. And we thank our amazing guest, Kim Henry.